Welcome to the In Systems We Trust podcast with Mark E. Murray. In Systems We Trust dives into all things systems and processes and interviews the professionals who are using them to change the landscape of their organizations every day. This podcast is fueled by Ditto, a team that is on a mission to eliminate team burnout by implementing systems and processes that streamline your business's growth. Are you ready for more clarity? Here we go. Welcome back to another episode of In Systems We Trust. My name is Marquis. I'm your host. And today I'm speaking with GV Freeman. GV is a self-awareness coach and psycho-spiritual guide who lives in the intersection of entrepreneurship, mental health, and psychedelics. After 20 years of launching and growing tech companies, GV began following his true dharma to help founders, entrepreneurs, and executives learn to be successful and happy here and now. He does this through his coaching practice, Founders Thriving, and Deep Inner Work, all programs designed to address the needs and thought patterns of high-performing entrepreneurs. When he's not hosting retreats and traveling the world, GV works on his latest startup, Nactivate, uh, catches catches as many live conscious as possible, and loves spending time with his friends and soul family. Welcome to the show, GV. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm really glad we got to connect. I know we had some issues on my side last time, losing power, and I was so excited to chat. So I'm glad we got to make it today. And my goal for today is not to cry. I want to get through this interview without crying (laughs) because everything we're going to chat about, it's so dear and dear to me, which is why I was excited to chat with you. So um, let's see how we do. So if we can take it back, GV, let's go back 20 years, um, you know, bring us up to speed on how you got to where you are now, because your bio covers so much, right? So how did you get into, you know, first entrepreneurship, maybe take us through your path to coaching the founders, thriving um, events, psychedelics, kind of lay out the roadmap for us if you could. Sure. I'm happy to do that. And and I would just maybe make even more space and say, sure. if you end up crying and if that's where you want to go, <laughs> you're not going to offend me at all. And okay. I think that it's, it's a, uh, and I say this not just for you, but for the people that are, that may be listening, being an entrepreneur is hard. Um, it is hard at the top and it is lonely. And sometimes we just need somebody to show up and say, I see you. Um, and if that happens for you or if that happens for anybody that might be listening to this podcast and if you're in the car and you know you feel a little wetness behind your eyes, like it's somebody seeing you. And I think that's super important. Um, how, how I got here, the really short version is I grew up in a tiny little town called Sargent, Nebraska, 750 people. Um, moved to a little larger town called Broken Bow and was outed as a gay kid when I was a sophomore um, in a tiny town in the middle of central Nebraska in the mid nineties was not very much fun. Um, I escaped. I became a foreign exchange student for 11 months. I lived uh, in Belgium. Basically I picked up as a 15 year old and um, just needed to get away from the trauma and get away from everything that was happening. So I lived over there, which um, also kind of became my first way of numbing. So this was a geographic opportunity to numb my feelings and to not feel them. 
when I got over there, then it uh, led to like a relationship with alcohol and cannabis that turned out to be not super productive in my life. Um, I came back, I finished high school. I, I became, I went to college in uh, the University of Nebraska at Kearney as a computer information systems major. So I've, I've always been very technical. Um, I went to college for three years. I had been a DJ for a number of years prior to that. So I went and worked for the cruise ships for a few years. I came back off of Carnival. And after um, becoming a corporate trainer and starting what was really the first, we call it a web services division, but it was really one of the first digital agencies in central Nebraska, um, building websites in about 2002. We were building sites with Dreamweaver and FrontPage and Microsoft Access. Okay. Um, And... That's really where the, I mean, entrepreneurship has always been in my heart. I can remember I was one of the lemonade stand kids. I was um, doing computer work for people in, you know, seventh grade. Um, But I would say that it was a combination of workaholism and, and I would say maybe entrepreneurship plus intrapreneurship. And I think that intrapreneurs get left out of this a lot. I have been an entrepreneur for the better part of 15 years. So I, I started that process and I ended up uh, with some trouble with the law related to my drinking in 2007. I quit drinking and that's when this second path in my life started to form. Like I continued uh, the business professional path for, you know, it's going on 25 years now for the last 15 years. I've, really opened myself up to a path of deep spiritual development and and self-knowledge, which started with 12-step recovery, which then I found yoga in 2012. I became a yoga teacher in 2013. Then I end up in Peru sitting with ayahuasca, a very hallucinogenic tea with shamans in the jungle in 2015. Um, And that's where um, sacred medicine work sort of came into the picture. And I realized the the profound benefits of dealing with our trauma using some of these beautiful medicines. Um, And then since that point, I I study a lot of Vedanta. I study a lot of Buddhism. Um, There's meditation in my practice. Um, And in COVID, really, it it was COVID when everything merged together because I was running a tech startup that dealt with the experiential marketing industry. So we, we built a platform specifically to, to capture data from in-person events. And when every in-person event in the world is canceled for about two years, uh, we lost all of our revenue in about 60 days. And I started a fractional CMO work at that point. And, uh, and also I had been coaching, um, sort of on the side coaching was my side hustle prior to that. And I really moved into, um, the coaching world, specifically founders, entrepreneurs, executives, we built founders thriving. We had our first founders thriving retreat last year in Nicaragua. And it was, it was truly amazing. And today merging all of that technology and corporate experience, understanding how entrepreneurs think and taking 4,000 year old wisdom and repackaging it in a way that, they can understand is what I think my true Dharma is today. So it's why I've been put on this planet. Wow. Incredible. So much to unpack there. And thank you for opening up and and sharing that. I want to ask, I mean, you you had a pretty traumatic experience when you were a kid, um, as, as you, as you explained, was it 
did you need to wait until you were an adult? And like, was it when you started, you know, seeking, you know, alternative medicines and and healing and, and meditation and things like that, that you were able to come to terms with what happened to you as a child? Yeah. And I would say in some ways, Marquis, I'm still coming to terms. Um, there is like, we can process these experiences cognitively and we can have emotions about them. But what we know now is that a lot of what we experience, a lot of the trauma that we experience is quite literally held in the body. Some, if you are, are looking at yoga, they might say that the trauma is stored as what's called samskaras in the muscle fascia. If we look at a little more science-based um, the nervous system is really what is sort of storing this trauma. So there are times when I can still in I'm 44 years old today, when I can still have an experience with someone and I can feel unseen or I can still have an experience of like feeling sort of abandoned by a friend or a coworker or a partner. And it is the same stuff. that I was feeling as a 13 year old, it's just less. Now I can cognitively be like, Oh, here it comes again. (laughs) Like welcome back. And the biggest change for me today is knowing that I don't have to fix it. Um, knowing that that sensation, that feeling is there for a reason. It's a part of me. And if I want it to go away, if I try and make it go away, I'm really saying I'm not okay. Like there's a part of me that's not okay. And I don't want to do that. I want all of me to be okay. So when the feeling comes up these days, I really try and sit with it and, and just say, you know, you're, you're welcome here as well. Wow. Incredible. Um, I'll give you a bit of my backstory just really quickly. I'm very open about this on social and I've talked about this on the podcast, but, um, I, I have suffered with anxiety for probably three or four years now. And like, it's always been there, I know, but it wasn't until that time that my wife actually pointed it out and I realized what was happening and started to seek treatment through my first family doctor. And I did, you know, rounds of group therapy and then one-on-one therapy. And I've I've had a therapist for a couple of years now and a business coach. And, you know, so for me, it's been very eye-opening and life-giving to like have these experiences because a lot of the you know, quote unquote trauma that people experience and it comes in different forms. You know, I realized I had been holding in and hadn't really dealt with it. And there was an event, um, a few years ago that I won't get into details about that, you know, um, a a lot of this pent up, you know, aggression and unresolved, um, anger, you know, came out and it, it came to this point where, um, I was faced with going one of two paths, And that would have really changed my life and my kids' lives and had a huge impact on our future. And it was through this work with my my therapist that I was able to look back and really dig deep into what happened as a child, what, um, you know, forces, you know, impacted some of the things that I was feeling, you know, and I was able for the first time as, as an adult, as a father to see it through another lens. So, and as you know, I'm a founder, you're a founder and you work with founders. So 
first thing I'm going to say or ask is why founders, first off, why are we teaching them? Right. And, and how do you qualify these people? How do they find you? How do you get started on this work with them? Because a lot of people, they don't know where to start. They don't know where to look. They're not, they, they won't put their ego aside and say, you know what, I need help and go seek it from a doctor or a therapist. And they'll just sit there and they'll spiral day after day and they'll never seek the help that they need. So where do we start? Um, and you know, what kind of work are you doing to help them realize that we need help? First, thanks for sharing that experience. Um, and I think that it, your story is so common. Um, amongst people in our positions, whether entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, executives. And I want to ask something before I answer your question. When you look back Mm -hmm. at maybe your behavior prior to this incident, and now as you've begun to understand what's going on and you're working, doing inside work, Mm -hmm. did you ever or could you now realize that some of your past behavior, some of what was happening in your past was affecting what was happening in business. Did it have an influence? Absolutely. It did. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you said something which I wouldn't have not have even thought about this, but you use, you said the word, I went to my first family doctor Hmm. and the, the key words there are first family because we learn a whole bunch of things. And depending on what development uh, stage you're talking about, sometimes they say that we learn how we bond with other people between the ages of one and 18 months. So that it's really our first 18 months living with our uh, primary caregivers that help us uh, to bond with other humans. In, in my experience, between the ages of one year old and 10 years old or zero and 10, that's when we have a whole bunch of these formative experiences about not only how we bond, uh, how our nervous system bonds, but how we act. Like if we have parents that are constantly working and we're constantly like doing their best to make more money or to get successful, we learn that this is what, this is how to get mom and dad's love. Like if I do really good in school, if I do really good in sports, if I am the person who goes and sells lemonade on the street corner I'm usually doing that because I want validation that I'm not already getting in the home. Wow. So entrepreneurs, my lay theory, anybody who tells me, yeah, I started making money when I was six years old or 10 years old. I ask them, well, what weren't you getting in your household? What Mm -hmm. love, affection, validation weren't you getting there that you needed to go get from strangers? (laughs) So, wow. um, I think that's interesting. And what we, what we do is we learn these first family behaviors and coping mechanisms. And then as we get older, we apply them to our second family. And the second family is oftentimes in the workplace. So when as a boss, as a founder, as a CEO, if you experience your employees coming and wanting more attention than we think is normal or that they're avoidant of certain emotions, we have to realize that as, as owners of companies with all these employees, these people are acting out first family trauma, first family behavior in their second family. So in some cases, and what I learned at one point in my career, 
is that I was acting out my need for strong, loving parents with my bosses, with like CEOs. Hmm. And my, the CEOs were like, I don't need to provide this. Like, this isn't what I signed up for. Uh, but when I realized it, I was able to start doing some work. So I, I, and maybe the last thing that I will mention is what we, what we know today is trauma is not what happens to us. It's what's left over. It's the residue that is left over inside of us. So when we have these experiences like you have, we get to experience the trauma. And then when we get to release it, like our life starts to get better. Right. So there's a little framing, but how do we find this? Most of the time um, founders are, are miserable. They, they get really uncomfortable. Um, they, the two most common things that I hear are, I'll be happy when I make a million dollars. Yeah. And now that I'm financially free, I have enough money to, to do what I need to do. And I'm still miserable. Like mm-hmm. I've, I, I never got what I thought I was going to get. And when people start looking for solutions in other places, that's when they usually end up on my doorstep. I am often a bridge, not always, but often a bridge to psychotherapy mm-hmm. Um we can do the work that I do is half consulting, half self-awareness coaching. So we can do work and learn about yourself and solve business problems at the same time. I've got 25 years of solving, um, you know, pretty high level tech business problems, but at the same time, all of those business problems and your reactions to them, that's the self-awareness piece. When something happens at work and it makes me angry, makes me sad, makes me happy, we get a look at what's happening and use all of that as what we say grist for the mill. It's it's food for this analytical engine, but we're just turning our insights inward rather than outward. Got it. Going back to the the example you gave where, you know, people will say, once I reach to this point, I'll be happy. And, you know, they do reach that point and they're still miserable. What's what's in that gap? Um that they're still trying to find is it mainly validation from peers or you know superiors is it relationships that were never mended are, are, are they searching for that thing is that what you're finding is at the core that money isn't really solving everybody's got a different shaped hole in their heart yeah what that hole looks like like if you think of the old commercial or the the cartoons of like the roadrunner and coyote and when the like coyote runs through a brick wall and like yeah. <laughs> leaves a uh, a special shaped hole or um, the, the kool-aid man like breaks through a wall and there's a kool-aid shaped hole everybody's yeah. got one of those mm. and the trick is finding out what shape your hole is in some people want validation. Some people want love. Some people want money. But what we know, what what they've known for 4,000 years is that external items are all impermanent. Mm-hmm. So impermanence is a fundamental concept in our in our universe. Nothing is impermanent or nothing is permanent. There's not one thing that you have today that you will have when you die. Even your body degrades. Actually, I think every nine years, our body replaces every single cell every nine years. So the body that we have today will is a completely different body that we will have in nine years. Right. And what we're trying to do 
is stitch together external acquisitions, external experiences, external power to make ourselves happy. But if all of that power eventually goes away, if all of those acquisitions go away, then we have to keep, keep going out and getting more. So the answer, well, I'll, I'll ask you this question. Where do you think true happiness comes from? Hmm. I mean, what's the answer within? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if we think that true happiness comes from within, Mm -hmm. right? If I I handed you a million dollars right now, if I gave you a box full of a million dollars, do you think it would make you a little happy? Absolutely. Absolutely. Me too. Like nobody's (laughs) going to lie about this. All right? right. Now the question is why did it make us happy? Is there actually happiness in the dollar bills? Like, is there literally happiness in the dollar bills? No. Mm-hmm. Is there literally happiness in the box? No. So what is it in this million dollars that's making us happy? And I would tell you that it is momentarily stopping our desire for anything. Hmm. When I stop wow. craving something that I don't have, I automatically get to feel the happiness that has always lied within me. The happiness is always inside of me. The happiness comes from within. And if I stop wanting anything, if I'm able to be in the present moment long enough, I get to feel happiness. So that's really all this work is about is to, we can either get more or want less. And honestly, what I help people do is be happy with what they have because it's coming from the inside. And all of a sudden people begin wanting or needing less. So good. So good. And I actually heard something similar to that yesterday for the first time. We always say like money doesn't um, make you happy or, or whatever the, the, the term usually goes like. But the, the thing that I understood from what I heard yesterday was that when you receive that money or any amount of money and you think this is it, right? Like I love that you said that it, you know, removes the need for anything. I think that's so powerful. But two, what I took away is that it's money gives you the ability to solve the issues that make you unhappy, right? So there's that temporary connection that you're talking about. Temporary because yeah. another issue will eventually come up. And what and the the hedonic treadmill, I call it the half-life of happiness that founders get, is that mm-hmm. it requires more and more and more to make us happy. So the more, you know, we we say that uh, our expenditures um, match our budgets. So mm-hmm. the more money I make, the more money I spend. And then what happens is that then I get a second house or I get a boat, or I get a Lamborghini, or I hire staff, and my life gets more complex, and then I have more problems, and then I need more money to solve those problems. Mm -hmm. And the complexity that we create in our lives with extra resources is what really causes us down the road to be severely unhappy. We look at Elon Musk, who is just was going to spend $44 billion to buy Twitter, and he works 20 hours a day and is one of the most self-admittedly one of the most miserable people on the planet. Mm -hmm. There are thousands, if not millions of millionaires who are walking around absolutely miserable. And if we can realize and have someone help us 
find the happiness that lies from within. Wow. We don't, we, we can stop looking outside of us for that. And it's not an instantaneous thing. It's a slow process. Wow. So good. Um, I want to share something with you and for the listeners uh, who are wondering, you know, what happened next regarding my situation, there is, there is closure there where there was, there was a lot of healing. There were a lot of conversations. Um, and actually my, my therapist um, helped me to, to walk through this. And there was an exercise that they put me through where I had to write um, a phrase, you know, using my non-dominant hand, in the, from the perspective of this other person. Right. And I I was, and the reason why we use our non-dominant hand is it's, is it's you as a kid, you know, coming to terms with what happened and what that, that person or that group was going through at the time. Right. So I I think that it's so powerful that this deep work that you're talking about actually going back and looking and trying to make those connections is so important and and it's been life-changing for me. So if anyone was wondering what happened next, there you go. But uh, <laughs> GV, I want to, I want to talk about um, y- your methodologies and your approach now, because you, you have some, some, some frameworks that you bring your clients through. I want to talk about the, the retreats and the events as well. But um, before we get there, you, you approach life from a, a real systems design perspective. Can you just give more insight into what that really looks like and how you take that into the work that you do? Yeah. Uh, you know, the way that I have thought for many, many years is um, one of my favorite courses in college was relational database. So mm-hmm. the, the idea of one-to-one, one-to-many and many-to-many relationships right. um, is something that I still think about today. And I context, providing context is incredibly important knowing where you're at in a system, knowing, uh, being able to, uh, understand sort of where you're at in a process is, is really calming to the nervous system. Like it's, it's scary when we're lost, when you are you know, driving down the road and you are completely lost and you need to be at some meeting, you have this anxiety that comes up. The reason why I approach my coaching work and just mental health and spirituality from a systems process is that if I can give people an insight or some lens into where they're at, what they're doing and how they're feeling, it actually calms them down. And most of the people that I work with, they love project plans. Like if I could, if I could give everybody a Gantt chart to health and wellness, they would absolutely love it. But unfortunately there's not, it's sort of a maze more than a path, but the two ways I think that I, I look at this, maybe at a, at a broad level, when I created Founders Thriving, I wanted to do two things with Founders Thriving. I wanted to decouple net worth and self-worth. So the idea that I can be happy regardless of how much money is in my bank account or for those new founders that are listening to your podcast, they're like, I don't care about net worth. I don't have that much net worth. It doesn't make any difference to me. I would argue for many of them, these are also the people who want to be millionaires or who need to have safety or feel like they're going to have safety with money in the future. And that that desire for net worth is no different than having it. It's the same energy that, that, um, that separates you from self-worth. So 
that was one of the major things. So if we look at self-worth and then I divide that uh, across 10 areas of your life. So this is when we really look at from a systems perspective. And if you think about a bullseye and you think about the outer ring of this bullseye, the there are five sections in this outer ring relationships or family. These are first family stuff, um, who you're married to, who your biological parents are, who your kids are, things like that. Second one is career. Third one is financial. Fourth one is social. And the fifth one is environment where you live, what kind of car you drive. Are you comfortable? Do you have a roof over your head? Those five things we, we, we can, if you think of them as buckets, we can fill up all of those buckets with some amount of self-worth. Some people get a lot of their self-worth from their career. Some people get a lot of their self-worth from having an amazing job or from having a beautiful partner or from having a beautiful home. The, the problem with that outer ring is it's all out of our control. We don't have control over any of those things. We're, we have a storm rolling through St. Louis right now and who knows within an hour if a tornado rolled through here, my house could be gone. Now, if my house is the most important thing in my life, if my job is the most important thing in my life, if my house gets wrecked and my, and my, I get fired from my job, I've lost all my self-worth. Both of those things are completely out of my control. Wow. Um, the second ring in, Oh, go ahead. Do you have something? No, 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 no. I'll come back to it. The, the second ring in, if we move into the second ring, we, I talk about the physical, the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual bodies. These are things that we don't, we have more control over, though we don't have complete control. We don't have 100% control of our body. Our bodies are dying. You know, the only reason uh, that we die is because we were born. It's inevitable. We can work on our mental body. We can become smarter. We can work on our emotional body and process past history and trauma. We can find ways to increase joy and love in our life. And spirituality, just for everybody out there, there is nothing really woo-woo about spirituality. Um, in my, my perspective of spirituality, it's significantly different than religion. And it is, a, it is about self-knowledge. Because happiness lies from within, the more that I know myself, the more happy I can become. Like I'm, I'm shining a light on where the happiness lives and I just got to walk around and look in all the dark corners that I've never looked. So we have more control over that inner ring. And then the bullseye is pure being. And the bullseye represents how much self-worth we have, how happy we are with our life if it all goes away. If I lost all my money, if I lost my job, if I lost my partner, if like my world came crashing down, could I still say that I'm a worthwhile, valid, happy human being? And that is a measure of true self-worth. It's a measure of freedom. That's really what I try and work with people is to get free, to break the attachments that we have to all of these things that we have been taught for so many years that we need. The less I can be attached to those things, the happier I can become. Hey everyone, it's me, Marquis. I just wanted to take a minute to tell you a bit more about Ditto. If you've been listening to In Systems We Trust for a while, you've heard firsthand accounts of how systems and workflows change the landscape of work for businesses and leaders across the globe. Ever felt like there just aren't enough hours in the day? 
Is your startup starting to grow and scale and you're wondering how your systems will scale with it? Maybe you're part of a widespread multi-level corporation that needs to update and overhaul its standard operating procedures. Well, if you can relate, Ditto can help. Eliminate team burnout, keep your best talent, and have a clear system in place to help you and your business achieve your goals. Visit thinkditto.com to learn more. Thank you for that. Um, I'm, I'm going to talk about what I um, thought about earlier, but um, on the subject of freedom, that is one of Ditto's core values. It's it's freedom without hindrance or obligation. And so we want to work with our clients to help them to build the systems in their business so that they can experience the life of freedom they started their businesses to achieve. Because as you know, you know, founders get into entrepreneurship and it's not what they thought it was going to be for first time founders anyway. And so that's interesting because what you said earlier about self-worth and your house, you know, being, you know, demolished by a, a tornado, right? Um, I would say that those are the types of things that, that bring stress and anxiety to my life. Okay. And so for me, like my job is so important because both me and my wife are self-employed. If we don't have this, what does the other side of it look like? When I think about the safety and the health of my extended family, my kids that get on the bus every day and leave and drive around and do whatever in the, in the playground, you know, I think about that. I think about what would happen to my house, my wife or or my dog. And again, that's where a lot of my anxiety comes from. And uh, on the subject of being, you know, successful and, um, you know, being happy with what you have, I, this is my second business. I, I, I started a digital marketing, um, agency years ago that, you know, due to COVID we had to make a pivot and here is ditto. But I remember looking back at pictures of, you know, my kids when they were younger sitting in my desk and I would go to different networking meetings. And, you know, I I look at those pictures and I look at those business cards that I um, was, you know, picking up off the tables. And like, there's a a part of me that is so sad even now to see that, right? Like, and you can easily say like in that business, in that time, I was successful because my goal was to leave my full-time job as a digital marketing manager and start my own business so I could be at home with my kids. So I had that. And now, you know, we're, we're at Ditto and we have, you know, 30 something, you know, team members and we're working with global companies and, you know, partners in the tech space and I'm successful, (laughs) but there's still that like thing in the back of my mind. And, And I tell you why I was sad when I look at those images and I think back to the past, it's, I haven't quite figured out how to um, come to terms with the fact that I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for those experiences. But when I think back to it, I think about how quickly it could have all been gone. And then who would I be to my kids? Who would I be to my wife? Who would I be to my my customers or my team that I would have to let go if that all went away? I, I get so, I, I, I go to different places because I think, it could have all gone away so quickly. And then what's left? What am I? <laughs> Who am I? So um, do a lot of your other founders experience that? And how long does this work take? Because I'm still dealing with this and I'm more successful than I've ever been, but it's not getting better. 
Marquis, I just want to, again, honor you for your honesty and for being able to really drop into the conversation and be able to like apply and be able to see yourself through this like one little image, because that's, that's what you're showing me. Um, I want to ask you a pretty philosophical question. Is there any part of you today that could believe that everything happens for a reason and it's all perfect? I have a hard time with that. So I'm going to say no. Okay. That's okay. And I would tell you that that is quite literally where the work's at. So we're, we're zooming out to somewhat of a, um, maybe a metaphysical, a spiritual level here. But this system that we are operating in right now, this life system that you and I were, were playing like we're two human beings having this conversation here, but everything that we experience in this life is designed perfectly to help us wake up. Everything is designed to help us be free. Your experience and the anxiety that you are experiencing as a result of maybe losing some of this stuff, we, we can look at it in two ways. We can look at it as being anxiety, or we can also look at it as a flashlight that's showing us where our buttons are at. So I tell a lot of my clients, it's not my fault for pressing your buttons. It's your fault for having buttons to press. The anxiety is just simply showing you where the buttons are at and it gives you an opportunity to do work to get rid of those buttons. And here's, here's the, I want to make things really small and manageable for us in this conversation. If you walk into an ice cream shop and you have your heart set on getting salted caramel ice cream and you know, this ice cream shop has it. So you go to this specific ice cream shop because it's your favorite one and you walk in and you ask for salted caramel and they're like, oh, we're really sorry, sir, but we don't have any salted caramel. Would you like vanilla or chocolate? Your response in this case, whether you're a person is like, oh, my God, I cannot believe like I came here specifically to get salted caramel ice cream. I can't believe it. Like, I hate you guys. I'm going to leave you a one star review. I'm going to rip you up and down. Like, that's one option. Another option is, ah, so no salted caramel ice cream. I really wanted salted caramel, but you know what? I'll try a new flavor today. The difference in those reactions, I can have a preference. I can have a preference for salted caramel. The, the amount of happiness that I have, the amount of fulfillment and contentment I have on a day-to-day basis is based on how attached I am to an outcome happening. So when I'm really attached to the outcome of getting salted caramel and I don't get salted caramel, I'm, it, it disrupts my nervous system. I get unhappy. Now, we're just talking about a scoop of ice cream here. But if we zoom farther out, you have an attachment to what your house looks like, how successful you are, the safety of your children. And I'm not saying that you, you shouldn't have. We're designed that your kids are perfectly designed to help you do your work. Your kids are part of the system 
that is will eventually help you to be more free. There's a one of the philosophies in Vedanta is parents are parents have a duty to take care of their children. You have a duty to protect them, to put food on the table and clothes on their back and to protect them up to a certain point. But you do not have a responsibility for their behavior, which gives you a lot of which when I tell this to parents, they're like, oh, thank God. When my kid screams and yells in the grocery store because I didn't buy him Lucky Charms, like it's not you're responsible to control their behavior. Hmm. So with your kids, without responsibility, you don't control the outcome. Hmm. And if you don't get attached to the outcome, then you're not upset when it doesn't happen exactly the way that you wanted it to. I'm hearing lawyer expectations that <laughs> that that everything yeah, comes up here. Yeah, I told you before you can either you can either acquire more or want less. Mm-hmm. And if you want less, if you expect less, resentments are the or ex- expectations mm-hmm. are the fastest way to a resentment. Yeah, the more you expect, the more people you get upset about when they don't give you what you want. So expect less, be in the moment as much as you can do the best you can do in the moment, doing what you're supposed to do, live a life that is in your Dharma, whatever that might look like your true path, live a life that you intentionally try to be healthy and successful. And then here's the biggest question. This is the biggest question that I could ask you. Okay. Are you willing to be 100% responsible for your lived experience? Are you willing to take responsibility for every single emotion that you have? My answer is yes. Yeah. So in in that case, now that you have 100% responsibility, you have to do whatever it is you have to do to not feel unhappy. Because if you feel unhappy, you know that that unhappiness is coming from you. Right. I might trigger it. I could call you completely stupid. And that might trigger something in you that makes you feel sad or angry. Sure. If you know that it wasn't me that made you sad or angry, it was your reaction to the sadness or your reaction to my words that made you sad or angry. And you own that emotion. Now you get to do something to resolve it. Wow. Yeah, this is making a lot of sense, and I'm I'm better understanding the the correlation between you know decoupling self worth and and the net worth because I have something on my on my whiteboard that uh, it was late one night it just kind of came to me I was feeling stress and pressures and all the ones that you know founders do you know making payroll and dealing with the emotions and you know the clients and you know we like to say we we work for ourselves we don't have a boss but we have as many bosses as we you know can sell to month after month right and then we're we're accountable to our team as well but what came to me was that, you know, um, I'm too attached to this, this being the job, the company, I'm too attached to this. I need to work myself out of a job, right? I was too connected to everything, wanting to have input on every decision that's made and every template we use and every system we create and every SOP and every deck we create. And it's just, there's so much that I, I was not able to remove myself and pull back until having this realization that this thing's going to grow, you know, with or without me. But my job and my role is not to look at the, the fine details. It's to pull back, focus on 
what is in my zone of genius and let the other people on my team do what they are the best at. So you're getting something. You are absolutely getting something from looking at every one of those things, looking at every SOP, looking at every template. There's a part of you that is absolutely getting fed and fulfilled by reviewing and approving. And when you find out like, wow, this isn't working anymore, but I can't do this anymore for the company to grow. Now you have a feeling, you have a feeling like, oh, this is getting out of control. I don't get to see everything. I don't get to approve everything. I don't like being out of control. There's a part of you that wants to be in control. You're now feeling feelings inside of the business that are pushing on your control button. And it's your opportunity and responsibility now because you took 100% responsibility for your experience. It's your responsibility to do something about that control mechanism and to either address it and to, to need less control or while not great is to usually um, swap your control mechanism and go be controlling in some other way, coach your kid's yeah. sports team and like yeah. be controlling there. Uh, there's a, you know, you mentioned something about responsibility and I wrote a piece called startup Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> every founder, every entrepreneur yeah. wants to be free. Like, I don't want responsibility. And when I become a founder, nobody's like, I won't have to report to anybody because I'm the boss and I'm going to be free to spend as much money as I want because I'm going to make a whole bunch of it. And my time, my schedule is all mine and I'm going to be able to do whatever I want and take more vacation. And none of those things are true. Like you report to your customers, you report to your employees, money, you are strapped for cash. You never have enough money in the bank to worry about payroll. So, and and time, like people always want more of your time. So the one thing that you thought was going to free you actually begins to trap you. And then here's the most dangerous part. And frankly, the second part of Founders Thriving is to create a healthy relationship with the company that you're building because you begin operating in a codependent relationship with your company and you start thinking, God, I have to show up. I got to work six days a week. I got to work 20 hours a day. My, my customers are saying this. My employees are saying this. I got to do all of these things. None of that's true. It's just you being codependent with your company and really offloading all of your responsibility onto this inanimate object. That's exactly <laughs> what it is, man. I'm surprised we made it this far. I haven't shed a tear, but uh, <laughs> they are just holding it back. But you're hitting on some really, really good points. I want to wrap it here um, because we're we're getting to the end, and there's so much more we could talk about. GV, I'm really enjoying this. But you you say that work life balance is broken, right? So how so? And like, what does work life integration really look like? Is it really achievable? Because I think about you know my kids, like they get off the bus at 3.30, I want to be done work. I want to just be on for them, right? I want to take them to the park. My son said to me one day, I, I asked him, you know, buddy, are you happy? And he's like, yeah. And I said, what can I do to like make you, you know, happy, you know, hmm. you know, just show up for you. And he says, dad, hmm, if you can just take me to the park every day, I'd be really happy, <laughs> right? And he wanted to go to the park wow. so badly yesterday And we said, no, he couldn't go to the park. He ended up going across the street to the neighbor's house, ended up him and his brother vandalizing the neighbor's vehicle by writing on it with a rock 
And we had to deal with that. And then I'm not the parent who took him to the park. I'm the parent that's drilling into my kids, my six-year-olds, and now they're grounded and they're, you know, forming these core memories because dad is not happy and they did something wrong. Right. So there was a, a point yesterday where I was like, man, if things had gone a bit differently, if I had taken them to the park, and I'm not saying that that wouldn't have happened at another point, but the point is that I want to show up for my life. I want to show up for my wife. I want to show up for my kids as much as possible, as well as showing up for work. So what does that really look like? Is this balance really achievable? Is there a good ratio? Have you discovered anything in your work? I'd love to hear that as we close this out. So I asked you a question about personal responsibility a little bit ago, and I'm going to ask you the second most important question. Are you doing the best you can with what you've got? Yes, I am. And do you think that everybody else is doing the best they can with what they've got? Yeah. Yeah. So if you're doing the best you can, as I just said before, you aren't responsible for your kid writing words with rocks on the neighbor's car. You're doing the best you can with what you've got. And that is enough for, for you and everybody listening right now, you are enough. Um, And if we try and constantly beat ourselves up, for not being enough, we're, we're not doing ourselves any good or the, the people that we love in our life. H- having said that, I'll, I'll give you a couple of ways that I, first of all, work-life balance is broken for a couple of reasons. One is for work-life, the concept of work-life balance has been around since the late 1800s. And it worked really well when you were putting rivets in Levi jeans and you came to work at 7 a.m. and you left at 5 p.m. And you left the riveter and you went home and you hung out with your family or you did whatever you did. We don't leave work anymore. Work is in our pockets. Work is all we're always connected. So for work-life balance to work, you have to stop working and start living. <laughs> and we don't really do that. We can't, We have a through line of work that is always there. So that's one broken model. Also, the work-life balance is sort of this zero-sum game um, that if I'm doing one thing, I can't be doing another thing. And I don't think that that's really a fair right. thing to do either. So what I look at is work-life integration. And work-life integration might be taking your son to the park with your laptop. Like yeah. I know that's not ideal, But that's just a tiny little example of how can I integrate my life as a parent with the work that I still have to do? Like, could he go to the park and play with his friends on the merry-go-round or on the the playground? And could I still be answering and responding to emails? Maybe. Could you read or write a a sales proposal sitting at the pool? Yep. That's work-life integration. The, the nuts and bolts of it, and if I could give anybody one ratio to make this work, is, and it's the one that I have used for years now, it's the 80-20 rule. So for every eight hours you work, you have to spend two hours in self-care. And self-care is a big wide door. Self-care is sitting down for a meal. Self-care is reading. Self-care is going to the gym, meditating, yoga, hanging out with your kids at the park. Those are all self-care things. 
So for every eight hours you're working, you should spend two hours in self-care. And if you do that on a consistent basis, you will likely keep enough balance in the system because I, while I, the, the diagram that I explained to you early, the, yeah. the three rings, that's a system. That's if we, it's not work on one side and life on the other side. And we're trying to walk this crazy balance and maybe falling off. We have to figure out a way to balance the system, which really has nine parts. It has family and it has career and it has financial and it has social and it has environment and our physical, mental, emotional, spiritual bodies. Balance does not incorporate those two, all those different areas of our life. We have to approach them as a system and we have to continue looking at how much we're putting in each one of those buckets. What is causing our buckets to leak? What's like ending up on the floor and then what, how hard we have to work to fill them up. And it's really looking at your life in a very integrated systematic approach and organicity or, or an organic system that we are balancing the system, but we're not just balancing two things walking across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Hmm. Wow. Thank you so much, GV. I mean, I was so excited to chat with you and you did not disappoint. Um, so thanks for bringing your insight today. Um, it was nice that we just like kind of dove in and, you know, got to the real deep stuff. I, I really like that. So thank hey, you. I appreciate it. You, you're willing to bring your own stuff to the table and that tells an enormous amount. Like if I was speaking to one of your employees right now, I would say that your boss's ability to be willing and honest to bring his own stuff and to be vulnerable is so powerful. We think of vulnerability when we see vulnerability in ourselves, it's always a weakness. When we look at vulnerability in others, it shows up as a strength and it is one of the paradoxes of life. But when we can realize that vulnerability in ourselves is actually a strength, um, we can we can use that to our advantage and become incredibly open and honest. And our employees and our families and our like the people in our life are so grateful when we can just show up and be us. So wow. thank you for so being beautiful. GV Freeman, founderthriving.com. Apart from the website where they can check out everything about, you know, what we chatted about today and, you know, the, the event coming up, where can people connect with you if they want to learn more? Yeah, either go to uh, founderthriving.com, gvfreeman.com, or uh, you can find me on uh, LinkedIn at uh, slash gvfreeman. Uh, and Instagram at just Jeeves, G E E V S. So I'm happy to chat with anybody. And like I said, we're going to uh, Nicaragua in September. I uh, love, we're taking 12 founders uh, to do some really deep inner work uh, down in Central America. And it was a beautiful experience last year. And I can't wait to have Incredible. people come and join us again. Well, again, thanks so much for your time. Looking forward to reconnecting and, and best of luck uh, to you this year. My pleasure. You too. Thanks for listening to the In Systems We Trust podcast with Marquis Murray. If you liked what you heard today, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Don't forget to rate the episode and share it with a friend. Head over to thinkditto.com to learn more about how the team at Ditto can help your business scale by implementing the systems and processes needed to get you there.